This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Good afternoon to you. I'm Jason Kong here with of course, Mary Lucas, representing Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you doing today? Doing well. I'm going to take Tilly, the hospice uh, foster dog, on a convertible ride this week. Ah. <laughs> First dog in my new antique convertible. I'm a little nervous, but I think it's the right time. This dog is, is living the life. <laughs> Beach trips, uh, everything on the bucket list. So uh, I'm very excited for Tilly. This is, And, of course, you, you foster dogs, and Tilly is... Uh, a hospice dog, so you're going through a whole bunch of bucket list items for Tilly, which is very admirable on your part. Yeah, we're very excited. Good week. It is a good week, and we've got a good show lined up for you today. And, you know, anytime we bring on one of our favorite guests, and that's Mark Philbrick, staff and community educator at Transitions Life Care. It's a great show as well. So, Mark, thank you so much for coming back on the show, and we're going to be talking about falls today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me back. Mark, Mark, Mark. This is a timely topic. Um, I, I, mm-hmm. We think about this a lot with my family, my grandpa going on to the hospice, and we've been talking to him about medication. I did not know medication goes into falls. And um, we've, you know, we've been talking to him about how a fall can really make a huge impact on his life at this point, or at any point in your life. And, you know, two weeks ago, it was in the news, we heard surprising news that um, Ivana Trump was found dead in her New York apartment alone, and there was no signs of foul play. And um, the medical examiner came back and reported that it was as a result of her suffering injuries due to a fall down her stairs. And it's shocking to think that a fall downstairs, you know, we walk down the stairs every day, now I'm all nervous about it, but it could lead to your death. And that's, that's terribly frightening. Uh, I've heard falls, especially in the older population, it really seems to increase the risk of injury and death. How big of a problem is this really? Yeah, it's really a staggering high number of people who have these type of injuries and deaths. You know, when we were kids, we used to tease each other. When we would see somebody trip, we would joke, uh, did you have a nice trip? You know, I'll see you (laughs) next fall. And really, uh, falls are no joking matter. CDC actually reports approximately 36 million falls in the United States each year. Wow. And that figures out to about 96,000 people a day falling. Um, Or every second of the day, someone is suffering from a fall. And one in four adults over 65 will report a fall this year. Uh, Even worse is that one out of three of those falls will result in an injury that either requires medical treatment or reduces their activity for at least a day. Um, Last year, there were over 8 million fall injuries. Uh, About 22,000 people a day were injured by falls. We also know that one in five of those falls cause broken bones or head injuries. Last year, 800,000 people, nearly a million people, were hospitalized due to falls, and most of those led to either head injuries or hip fractures. And if we look at folks over 65, it's the number one cause of injury death in emergency room visits. 300,000 Americans last year were hospitalized for hip fractures, and 95% of those fractures were 
falls, especially falling sideways. So it's the most common cause of brain injury, too, in the United States. And it is extremely expensive. In fact, medical costs due to falls was $50 billion a year to Medicare last year. And Americans spent over $12 billion out of pocket paying for falls-related injuries. And we know that it's the leading cause of, of death among people over 65 with unintentioned injury. And it's the fastest growing segment of injuries in people 85 and older. You know, our death rate of people over 65 is 23 times higher than people under 65. Mm -hmm. And like you had mentioned with your grandfather, we know uh, working with hospice and terminally ill patients, that someone who has a chronic condition and suffers a fracture due to a fall can reduce their life expectancy in half. Mm -hmm. Once they become immobilized, they increase their risk of pneumonias, infections, and uh, rapid decline. Wow, that's really shocking. You know, in the hospice industry, and um, you and I have heard this term before, but it's they're considered like a tipper event, and it's really shocking how many people, going through the statistics, have fall injuries, and especially a number of people who die from complications related to falls. So, Mark, can you talk to us about some of the factors and conditions that are contributing to these situations? Yeah, there are quite a number. Uh, some of the most common conditions that we see that increase their risk of falls leading to injury would be lower body weakness, especially the legs, the ankles, and the feet. You know, as people, especially as they age, if they don't uh, stay mobile and get exercise or walk on a regular basis, they begin to lose lower body strength. Um, also common is vitamin D deficiencies. People's diets change. And by taking vitamin D supplements, that can affect um, in reducing the falls because lack of vitamin D causes neuropathy, which, you know, they don't have the feeling in their feet and lose their balance. Another common one, especially in adults, older adults, is vision problems such as cataracts or even bifocals. You know, looking down at the ground with bifocals, depending upon where you're looking, um, some objects can seem closer or farther away so they can miss their steps that way. There's also other eye conditions like macular degeneration, where you lose the center focus of what you're looking at, and so you can trip over things that are right in front of you. And the opposite of that is with advanced dementias, we have tunnel vision. The vision becomes tighter in people with advanced Alzheimer's. They lose their peripheral vision, so they may not see things coming from either side. Uh, people who have foot pain, poor footwear, or peripheral neuropathy from diabetes or other conditions where they lose their feeling in their feet make it easier for them to trip. Um, but most of these are really combinations. People who are aging have generalized weakness, disorientation, um, and are high risk when they reach broken pavements or throw rugs, electric wires. So things like that can be a big effect. The other common thing as we get older is, is drops in blood pressure. Fancy name for it is orthostatic or postural hypotension, which is basically a fancy word that when you go from lying down to standing up or seated to standing up, the blood shifts from your head, you cause dizziness, and you can faint or lose your balance. So rapidly getting up can cause um, falls. And tiredness or sleepiness, just not really paying attention. In one of the strange ones, if you've fallen before, 
you probably have the fear of falling again. And so we see people who become very paranoid and overly cautious in how they walk. And by shortening their gait, sometimes that can throw them off the balance. So there are many different ways that people can be affected um, in having a risk, higher risk of falls. Definitely. As you went through that checklist, I was thinking about my grandfather. Um, a lot of those things, you know, you fall in once, you're nervous, you're taking very short steps. Um, there's environmental things, you know, that darn rug under his chair that I keep complaining about needs to go. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's all sorts of things that contribute to the, to falls. Um, Mark, we're seeing more and more drug companies advertising on television about prescriptions and medications. It seems like they give you a really short version of what the medicine does, and then they talk really quickly through all the different side effects. Are there specific medicines that folks are taking that could have side effects that contribute to an increased risk of falls? Most definitely. There are many medicines that have um, side effects that lead to dizziness, weakness, um, that can cause falls. Um, Some of the most common ones that we see especially in elderly people, are those uh, for lowering high blood pressure or things that regulate your heart, try to slow your heart rate down, such as metoprolol. That's a medicine I myself take twice a day for um, high blood pressure. Um, brand names such as toprolol, Lopressor, Norvasc, Lasix, um, diuretics, anything that can lower your blood pressure um, would also increase the risk of dizziness. Um, people who are on antidepressants or mood medicines such as Prozac or Elevil, those can cause uh, the same type of side effects. Or muscle relaxants like Soma or Flexeril, uh, people who are on antipsychotics or mood stabilizing like Respiritol or Seroquel. And of course, um, people who had injuries that are on opioids such as uh, Oxycontin, Vicodin, hydrocodone, any of those things can also cause a weakness and dizziness. Uh, and we can't forget there are a lot of over-the-counter medicines we don't think about, but um, such as Benadryl. If we are taking Benadryl for, um, you know, itchiness or sinus infection, that can cause drowsiness. And people also taking sleep aids such as Ambien. All of these have the higher risk of um, causing dizziness or weakness. And the reality is, um, especially in our aging population, we have polypharmacy, people taking multiple medicines. So most people who are taking something may have a combination of medicines that even aggravate and increase this risk more. It's, it's something that we all need to be aware of and speak with our physicians about to make sure that we're not putting ourselves at an elevated risk for a fall. We're speaking with Mark Philbrick. He's the staff and community educator with Transitions Life Care, and we're going to continue our conversation with him right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk 
traffic. Hey, if you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, be sure to go online to transitionslifecare.org. Transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. Our guest on the line is Mark Philbrick. He is the staff and community educator at Transitions Life Care, and we're talking all about falls. And Mary, we were just discussing um, things that can put us at risk for a fall. And now we're, we're going to get into the conversation of okay, what what happens after a fall? That's right. You know that list of risks was quite long, and the medications and all the things you went through, Mark. And it seems like it's not a question of if, but when and how you fall. Uh, can you give us some tips and suggestions of what to do if we or someone at our home as a caregiver, what happens if someone takes a fall? What should you do next? Well, there are several things. And let's start by if you're at home with a loved one who falls, you know, it's extremely common for people to panic when they see somebody fall and want to run over and grab the person and try to yank them up. Or, But it's important first not to panic yourself and to try to remain calm so you can help the person who fell remain calm. You know, taking matters into your own hands may also put a loved one at risk by uh, trying to lift them and drop them or move them if they have a fracture. So if there's any doubt that you can help them, then you probably need to stop and call the non-emergent police number in your community and they will have EMTs come or the fire department, you can just call the non-emergent number. If, if you check and it doesn't look like they're injured, seriously, they're not bleeding, doesn't seem like there's any broken bones, but you just can't get them up yourself or don't want to risk that, the non-emergent number, they can send somebody out. Just say you need some help uh, with lifting somebody who's fallen. So staying calm, making sure your loved one is calm, and having them take some slow, deep breaths. Uh, examine for injuries bruises, bleeding, sprains, broken bones. Uh, part of this is not manipulating the person themselves, but asking them to see you know, if they can move their hands, their feet, their legs, their arms, and um, ask if they're doing that, if they're experiencing any pain, exactly where that pain is and how severe it is. Um, and if they do seem to have an injury, then don't move them. Call 911, uh, keep the person warm, Put a blanket on them and wait till help arrives. Uh, if they aren't badly hurt and you want to help get them up, make sure you proceed very slowly. Stop whenever you're stuck or whenever they seem to be having a problem. So if there's any hesitation, uh, reassure them that there's help on the way. Um, it's important you only assist in not trying to lift them up, but that they are able to lift themselves up so that um, if they're struggling to get up on their own, then, then make sure they see a doctor. Uh, and once they're back up on their feet and they look fine, you know, keep a close eye on them for 24 hours, especially if there's any risk that they had bumped their head. There could be uh, you know, bleeding, slow bleeding in the brain. Uh, older adults also have a tendency to hide their injuries because they're embarrassed that they fell mm -hmm. and they don't want to risk their independence. So it's important to make sure that um, we're honest about that. And when you go to the doctor, make sure, um, especially if it's an emergency room, that you bring a list of all the medicines they're on um, so they can be evaluated for any of the effects that may have led to um, this person falling. Um, if you're alone, um, we do recommend for people who are high risk that they have a medic 
alert. Um, you've probably seen the ads. You know, we all seem to make fun of those ads. I've fallen and I can't get up. But those uh, med alert buttons can be very helpful. They wear them as a necklace or they have them for the wrist. And now some of them actually can be self-activated. They can actually sense when somebody changes position rapidly. Um, uh, other thing is to have the person keep a cell phone on their uh, person at all times. So they can call 911 if they've fallen and they're alone. Um, I have two examples. One was um, uh, one of my relatives who uh, we specifically got a cell phone because they had fallen and said, you know, you need the cell phone to call 911 or call us if you fall. And they kept it on the mantle of their fireplace so they know where it was, but obviously they couldn't get to it when they fell. Um, Another friend of mine had a medic alert bracelet, but she kept it on her bedside table because uh, she, again, didn't want to forget where she put it, mm -hmm. but she fell in the living room and had no access to it. So those are the, the things I'd recommend. Those uh, alert bracelet type of or necklaces typically start around $30 a month, mm -hmm. and certainly for a dollar a day, it's, it's worth the security of knowing your loved one can uh, get help if they need it. That's great advice. I, I want to go back to that point that you mentioned about being careful after someone falls and once they're up and saying, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. I, I think that that's a really important thing to remember of keeping an eye on them for a little bit. My grandfather fell and hit his head on the fireplace and was fine. He's fine. He's fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Don't know. Let's not do anything. Mm -hmm. And within, you know, a couple hours, his speech started slurring and um, my grandmother realized there was a bigger problem and he had a brain aneurysm. Um, and he mm -hmm. they went in and had to cut from the front of his head all the way to the back and he was in ICU for months. Um, wow. so that, that was a, that was a fall and, um, one that he didn't take seriously at first. And, um, thankfully my grandmother was watching for a little bit to realize that it was much more serious than, than he originally. And at that point he had you know had no idea what was going on um, when it was a, an emergency. So um, really important point you mentioned. It seems yeah, physiologically with older people, um, the brain shrinks as they age. Mm -hmm. So there's a little space in the cranium that the, the, the brain literally will rattle around if they take a fall. Uh, that's particularly true with dementia patients where they have significant brain sh um, shrinkage. Mm -hmm. It's like that uh, brain bounces against the skull when they fall and can cause internal bleeding. Mm -hmm. It seems like many people suffer from falls in their homes. Are there tips or recommendations you can give us on how to reduce the risk of falls in your home? Certainly. Six out of 10 falls happen in people's home because obviously that's where we tend to spend most of our time, especially as we get older. Um, so there are many little things that we can do to help safe, uh, safe proof our homes. Uh, the reality is that no home is fall-proof, but we can reduce the risk, or, but not totally eliminate them. Some of them are like putting handrails on both sides of the stairs to make sure that they're tightly fastened. Um, I know that in one of the homes I had in the past, we had handrails on one side of the stairs, but when the person was coming down the other side, they didn't have a handrail and they fell down, um, and so that increased the risk. Um, if you're carrying things upstairs, make sure you carry it in one hand and hold the rail on the other. Um, even now, as I walk up and down stairs, I used to just bolt up the stairs. I, I keep my hand loosely on the rail in case I trip on something. Um, 
Also, good lighting is really important, both the top and the bottom of the stairs, uh, outside your doors. I picked up at uh, Lowe's Home Improvement, you get in the Home Depot or whatever, just these little battery-operated lights that have a sensor on it, so as you approach the door at night, it lights up. I also have that on the inside of my front door, so if I'm walking in and the lights are off at night, it automatically triggers taking uh, turning that on. Um, making sure you keep things tidy that don't have books and clothes around, um, no throw rugs, and I know that's a big thing, especially in many houses I go into. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, they have all these knitted rugs and so on. Um, grab bars near a toilet that could be installed in night lights, something very simple. I actually have night lights in my bathroom. Um, you can pick them up at the dollar store that are activated. If the, the sun goes down, they automatically come on. They use very little energy. And even when I travel, I pop one in my travel bag um, and I put it in the bathroom in the motel room. So if I'm getting up at night, um, also a flashlight next to your bedside table um, in case the power goes off at night, you want to have that. And also keeping the cell phone next to the bed at night, mm -hmm. um, electric cords, those types of things. Also important, sofas and chairs at the right height to get in and out of them easily. Um, so that the person is, is not having to, you see sometimes uh, older folks have to rock back and forth and catapult themselves out of the chair. It means it's time to get a higher chair. Mm -hmm. um, and not standing on tables or chairs to try to reach things, but have a proper uh, step stool. And probably one that you encounter on a regular basis is cats and dogs that trip over. You know, the little ones especially <laughs> get under your feet, making sure <laughs> as you walk through your house that the dog where the cat isn't uh, a trip hazard. And uh, also recommend having um, those non-emergent phone numbers uh, on the refrigerator. So if someone's there and uh, someone falls in the home, they can call the non-emergent number to help some help come and determine whether they need further attention. Those are great, great suggestions. We have like one minute left, Mark. Can you talk to us through some resources that you suggest um, f about falls? Yes. Um, great websites. Go to the National Falls Pre Prevention Resource Center. Um, the National Institute on Aging has a home safety checklist, especially for Alzheimer's patients. And there is, uh, for modifying your home, www.homemods.org, homemods.org, and the cdc.gov has also great information on falls prevention. Excellent. Those are great resources. Thanks, as always, to Mark Philbrick, staff and community educator at Transitions Life Care. Mark, we always appreciate you coming on the show. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5. 
AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. Thank you to Mark Philbrick for joining us for a discussion on falls. We're now going to turn our attention to a discussion on mindfulness. And we are very pleased to welcome right now on the show, LaToya Toller. She is a licensed clinical mental health counselor and interior decorator with Mindful Home Interiors. And uh, LaToya, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate being here. Definitely. So LaToya, maybe kick it off. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Absolutely. So I, um, my business is Mindful Home Interiors, and I provide both mental health counseling or uh, interior decorating services. And my focus is around holistic wellness. And that essentially means that we have an opportunity to really stop living our lives in pieces, as I like to call it. Um, you know, one of the things that's really important is really to be focused on the way that we are not only thinking and feeling, but how are we living? Mm -hmm. And by really focusing on each of those elements in our lives, we can really address our needs in terms of our mental health and also in terms of our environment. And um, that's what I focus on in my business. I really have been working with clients for the past 21 years in terms of really accomplishing wellness in their lives. Mm -hmm. And also, as I've worked with my clients, I have um, learned that wellness is not something that you compartmentalize. Mm -hmm. It really needs to encompass the whole person. And I think that's something that we typically try to do. It, it might be that, you know, at work, we try to function in a certain capacity. At home, we try to function in a certain capacity. And what would mm -hmm. it be like to actually bridge those two things? Mm -hmm. um, so that we are really being our best selves. So I try to help my clients really focus on what would it be like to do that. I can imagine being mindful at home is something you can do now as a caregiver, but it also may be triggering for those who are pre-grieving or dealing with a recent loss. What are some of the elements you consider when working on these projects and how do you start this process? Absolutely. So one of the first things that I do is I offer an initial consultation. I really try to get a sense of what an individual's needs are. And a client can come to me at a place where they're really focused on either their mental health or their environment. So mm -hmm. there are different avenues for someone to get started with services. And my initial goal is really to listen, to get a sense of where are they in their lives. Um, what is the priority in terms of their need at this point and how I can help? Um, and so I really try to help them identify what those needs are so that if it's a, a concern around mental health, what are the recent experiences that you've had that you know are creating a struggle for you that we can build towards your wellness? Mm -hmm. And then also if it's a situation where the client is experiencing a loss that, for example, um, it may be the recent loss of a spouse and, you know, what might it be like to uh, return home to a place where you've shared with your loved one for many years and it no longer feels like home because that person is absent. So what might be the things that we can change in your environment that can allow you to create a, a place of safety, a, a place that now represents you, but also honors that you know, person that's been in your life? 
I can imagine for a lot of these situations, it's incredibly difficult to take that first step towards self-care and a step in a journey that is that you might feel very buried or a new grief journey. Um, can you talk us through ways that to take that first step? How, you know, I feel like a lot of people might feel that buried feeling and, and not want to reach out or feel, feel guilty or some, um, or some sort of a feeling around uh, letting go of the past. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that I really encourage people to recognize is that grief is a very normal life event. If we live long enough, we're all going to experience it. And, you know, it is a range of feelings that is very intense. Um, I often like to um, compare grief to the experience of water, you know, in terms of sometimes when we see water, we experience it. If it's a waterfall, it's pretty intense and it's rushing. Sometimes um, it might be a stream that's really calm. Sometimes, you know, it is still. And our experience with grief can be like that. And each person has a different place with it. Mm -hmm. And really helping them to see that wherever they are, that's okay. And there's somebody that can walk them through it and help them, you know, as they go through the process. So really helping them to see that reaching out is a benefit, it's a support, it will help them to work through the pain of grief and, and find new meaning in their lives. Mm-hmm. One of my uh, favorite TV personalities, Ted Lasso, uh, once said, "I like to think <laughs> I like to think that grief is the price we pay for truly loving someone, and it's worth every penny." And I feel that yeah. in the things that you're talking through today. Yes, absolutely. You know, I think to go through life without connecting to someone would be even more painful. But mm-hmm. even if we connect and feel like we have lost that person physically, it doesn't mean that on an emotional level, we have lost all Mm -hmm. that connection. And that I think grief teaches us that we can continue to find meaning in new experiences, Mm -hmm. new opportunities, new things as, as we continue through life, even after a loss. Absolutely. So I'm I'm notorious for finding a great estate deal or uh, uh, taking on all the family furniture from my family. Um, and to me, it yeah. tell, to me, it tells a story. But to some that might be emotional to keep around some of these sentimental pieces. Are there ways to weave in estate pieces or family heirlooms in a happy way versus tossing them all and moving forward? Absolutely. I think one of the things that I try to encourage um, people to do is really consider the area, the pieces that are sentimental to them and in terms of does it have a story? Does it tell a story? Or does it remind you of a happy time? Is there something that, um, you know, you and that loved one did together to acquire that piece? Or, you know, does it remind you of the, the point where you first met? Did you purchase it together? So helping them to think about why it's meaningful to them And then there may be, you know, also pieces where they recognize it is too painful to hold on to that and Mm -hmm. to create some balance for them by allowing them to purchase some new items as well. So there is a balance between um, holding on to certain items Mm -hmm. and also to letting go. And I think that's that natural experience as well that we we have with grief. You know, there are those things that we do need to hold on to as part of our memory and our experience, but also some pieces that over time, 
it is healthy for us to to adjust to and move on from and let go. So really integrating the old and the new um, in terms of our pieces and also our experience, I think, can really be beneficial um, for an individual and helping them to see that they don't have to let everything go. Mm-hmm. They can create a sense of wholeness by bridging those two. That's wonderful. And, you know, being mindful at home, it may sound expensive. Are there ways to make it personalized while not really breaking the bank? Absolutely. I think one of the things I always experience um, with my clients and always encourage them is to, you know, if there are items that you love, let's hold on to that, those items. Let's really make those a centerpiece in your home and not feel as though you do need to go out and purchase things that are are new just for the sake of doing that, but really building around what you currently have and also, you know, really respecting a person's budget. What are their goals? What are they wanting to um, build into a space? So it's not necessarily about um, the money, but it's really around what kind of environment are you wanting to create? And my focus is really on creating um, a healing, a soothing space Mm -hmm. that someone can feel that I can go here to rest. Mm -hmm. So that is really, uh, you know, what I really focus on um, with my work. And Latoya, if someone is interested in pursuing that, what's the best way to get a hold of you and to find more information about Mindful Home Interiors? Absolutely. Thanks so much for asking. My website is mindfulhomeinteriorsnc.com, and they can also reach out to me um, through my email, which is mindfulhomeinteriors at gmail.com. Again, I offer a free consultation just to get a sense of, is this something that's a good fit for you? And what are your needs at this time? Oh, wonderful. Again, that's mindfulhomeinteriorsnc.com or mindfulhomeinteriors at gmail.com. Latoya Toller, she is a licensed clinical mental health counselor and interior decorator with Mindful Home Interiors. Latoya, thank you so much for your time today. This was a wonderful conversation. Thank you. I appreciate it. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. We are taking a quick break, but we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and you know, we often spend uh, our time talking about big general topics, mm-hmm. but uh, we always find it good to kind of narrow into some specifics every now and then so that you know, those who are in that specific situation can uh, have some help and some resources available mm-hmm. to them. So, we're going to be focusing this segment on Parkinson's and MS, and we're very happy to have on the show right now Ashley Sayaloon. She's the owner and instructor at Modified Movement. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. 
I'm so excited about this topic. I actually was just telling Jason, I woke up bright and shiny this morning to uh, hit the gym, which is a New Year's resolution for me. So this is a perfectly timed topic. Uh, Ashley, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what is modified movement? Yes, uh, Modified Movement is really a program that integrates yoga and exercise in unique ways that help people with chronic conditions. Um, and it's, it's more about bringing awareness to their, certain, their specific symptoms and supporting them in a way that they can practice yoga or exercise where they feel safe and supported and understand how exactly the exercises are going to benefit them in the, for the long term. Mm-hmm. That's that's awesome because I feel always super intimidated going into a yoga class. I can't imagine dealing with a chronic condition and also going into a yoga class or or trying to do some sort of exercise and feeling even more intimidated by it. Exactly. Classes are usually very small, no more than six people. So there's a lot of individual care. It also builds a community where people get to know each other and they mm. can talk openly in class about their symptoms and struggles. So that's really helpful also. That's wonderful. So you specialize in all sorts of chronic conditions, uh, but I want to touch on a couple specifically today uh, that maybe our listeners uh, are familiar with, Parkinson's and MS. Can you talk to us a little bit about the differences between these two? Absolutely. So, I mean, Parkinson's and MS are different diseases for sure. They're both degenerative in the sense that they they affect our daily uh, functionality. So people with both Parkinson's and MS will have some similar symptoms, numbness, stiffness, tremors, vision problems, and that affects their ability to balance, walk, do daily tasks. I mean, there's a lot of other more serious complications that go into it, but a lot of them do struggle with just day-to-day tasks Mm -hmm. uh, that are easy for most of us. Mm -hmm. And the functional exercise really, really hones in on that. So when diagnosed with something like Parkinson's or MS, is exercise something that you should start early on to help with the progression of the disease or the outcomes in the long run? Absolutely. I mean, movement in general, any kind of exercise is good for obviously everybody. Mm -hmm. But for people with these diseases, less movement just leads to more deterioration. Mm -hmm. So any movement, any exercise program is absolutely beneficial to them. Um, and you can start, I mean, everybody should start as soon as possible with exercise, no matter who you are. But for people with MS and Parkinson's, um, it's important to exercise in a way that they feel safe and encouraged to better their movements. Mm -hmm. And not every exercise program is obviously created the same. So, I feel like taking a slower, more broken down approach Mm -hmm. when working with those patients is a a better way for them to make progress, feel more confident, see better results. Mm -hmm. With someone that may have more advanced stages of the disease, are there still exercises that they can do, um, even if they're bound to a chair or are less mobile? Absolutely. So... Just to give you like a better look at what a functional exercise class is compared to like a yoga class or a regular exercise class, functional exercise class really just breaks down how we function into digestible little chunks. 
so you could absolutely be sitting in a chair and get a full body workout without even having to come up to standing because we're taking piece by piece and looking at how are we breathing, then maybe doing some joint mobility of the shoulders and neck and spine and looking at how we're breathing while we're moving. And so you're taking these little segments of movement and you're feeling supported, say, because you are sitting in a chair, or you're using some kind of support. You have time to really observe how you're moving, the effects of that movement, how it's making you feel. And it's it's the awareness that really makes all the difference. It's, it's being mindful of how your body behaves in a movement that really allows them to improve. So you don't have to even, I mean, you can absolutely do things from home sitting on the couch even. That is awesome. Um, this sounds like it can be very therapeutic and maybe there are ways for the caregiver to be involved and not just facilitate at home, but also participate in an activity to enjoy together. Is that possible? Absolutely. I mean, the nice thing about it is even if you're not afflicted with MS or Parkinson's, these exercises are just as important for anyone. Um, having that awareness of how we're breathing, how we carry ourselves, how how our how our walk is even. Some of the exercises break down your balance, which side is more dominant versus which side you feel less function on. And and everybody has that. Um, nobody's a symmetrical being. We all have our quirks. So it's really cool for everyone to join in. You could have your family, you could have your caregiver. Because everybody has something to learn from these exercises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ashley, what's the best way to maintain this? I mean, Mary just talked about, okay, you know, today she got up early and started exercising. <laughs> and, you know, we, we can usually maintain that for like two or three weeks. But then after that, you know, maybe the excuses start creeping in or, you know, maybe we're staying up a little bit late the night before. And, you know, that's an excuse not to get up in the morning. How, how do we maintain that momentum? So I tell people to try putting some of these functional movements to work during their functional activities. So some of my uh, clients, um, students have found the most improvement where they take a lesson I've taught them about how to get up and out of a chair better or how to sit down in a chair easier. And, And just having that mindfulness, going a little slower, thinking about how they approach certain activities during the day has made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And then to add to that, even doing five or 10 minutes of maybe a specific exercise that's not difficult, that's easy to do at home, uh, is plenty. You absolutely don't have to do like an hour a day or anything that seems overwhelming. I think that's where people get caught up as they hold themselves to these, you know, huge expectations. Um, But I think slow and steady wins the race. And I actually find people get better results that way, get hurt less often, trigger less pain responses. Um, so slow and steady is really the way to go. It's not overwhelming. I think everybody could take a note from that mm-hmm. method also, <laughs> you know, even people without chronic conditions. Absolutely. It sounds like uh, these exercises and and activities um, really can help with an outcome on balance and um, and kind of doing the occupational everyday activities as well. Do you see good outcomes um, with the the people that you work with uh, in the, the long term on these things? Yes, 
Absolutely, because we're we're doing certain exercises to improve the functionality day to day. Um, it does carry into it because they end up having more energy. They end up feeling better in these activities, so they end up doing more activities, and then it spurs them into wanting to maybe do a little more exercise to maintain it. So one kind of fuels the other. I feel like when you get in a habit of better movement, understanding your movement, and a way to approach it for your individual self or you feel safe and confident, that's going to help just keep you on an upward upward trajectory in terms of getting better movement and getting more out of your movement. Well, Ashley, for people like me who uh, really don't know if they're getting in or out <laughs> of a chair properly, what's, what's the best way to get up with you and learn more about uh, modified movement? So my programs right now are uh, here in Wake Forest, North Carolina. I teach a functional exercise class for Parkinson's and MS. Uh, they usually go for eight-week series, and we go from base-level breathing all the way up to being able to comfortably get in and out of a chair, work on walking, etc. So it's it's really digestible. It's an awesome community. And these lessons are also offered individually online also if you're unable to make it to a group class. So it's really approachable for everyone. Oh, very cool, very cool. And how do they get a hold of you? So you can visit me at modifymymovement.com and you can find all of my classes and ways to schedule right from there. Perfect. That's modifymymovement.com. Dot com. She is Ashley Sayaloon, the owner and instructor at Modified Movement. Ashley, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, you did a wonderful job, and we hope to talk to you again soon. We have run out of time for today, but we hope you will join us again next weekend. Don't forget, go to transitionslifecare.org, or if you want to catch a replay of this show or the podcast, Go to WPTF.com, click on the podcast button, and find the Aging Matters section. On behalf of Mary Lucas, I'm Jason Kong, thanking you so much for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a wonderful weekend. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.